Okay, if we can head back to our seats. Great welcoming and chat. And we are going to have Kat read the passage for us tonight. Come on, team. Yeah, get it together. <laughs> Where is Kat? There she is. So tonight's reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, to chapter 5, verse 10, uh, and then going straight on to chapter 7, verses 23 uh, to 28. So that's page 1,203 in your church Bibles. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne to grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And going on to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 28. Now there have been many of those priests since death, prevented from then continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who was made perfect forever. 
This is the word of the Lord. That's all right. Uh, good evening, everyone. John's nearly warmed you up. Um, welcome. I'm Dan, the youth pastor. You've had a big introduction to me of totally unnecessary facts, so that's fine. We can move on. Um, they're all true, but uh, unnecessary tonight. So uh, this evening, we have the real privilege of looking through uh, these chapters in Hebrews that talk about Jesus being our high priest. And we cover at least three chapters tonight, um, and it also feeds into more. So we've got lots to do in the next hour or no, um, in the next little while. So um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to have a look at these verses and what they mean for us. Lord God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. And we pray that as we look at these words, it help us to grasp how long and wide and high and deep the love of Christ is. Open our hearts and speak to each one of us this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, it's very unlikely, or I can imagine it's unlikely, that this morning you woke up and thought, I need a new priest. Um, and especially unlikely that you sat there and, like, you're laying in bed and you thought, man, if only I had a priest in the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> like, that's quite an unlikely thing to be thinking about um, as you wake up this morning. And I can imagine lots of us are actually quite unfamiliar with the kind of priesthood and the Old Testament side of things. Um, so to get to what this means for us this evening, we're going to do a little bit of background work on what it meant uh, or what it means still uh, for a Jewish priest to work and what they do and what their role is. Um, and we're also going to then look at the kind of way that it impacts us. Um, and hopefully uh, through all of that, God's going to do something um, and we're going to hear from him. Uh, so we need to grasp what a priest is. Um, and Hebrews uh, 5 verse 1, which was read to us, uh, gives us an excellent, excellent uh, summary of what a priest does. So if you have your Bible, it's best to keep it open of those, you know, five or six pages, um, and it will tell you what a priest is. So Hebrews 5 verse 1 says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So a priest represents people before God and does that kind of in-between, that mediating work, that, that God kind of work, that work that joins humans with God. Um, we don't need that right now, Rory. It's okay. Um, maybe a little bit later. Um, so we've got that idea that actually these priests stand between us and God and offer sacrifices on our behalf and offer gifts on our behalf. Um, and that's what it would have been, that kind of go-between. And we've, we, kind of, we, we kind of grasp that in our heads, but we don't always know how it works. And, and I think that technology is kind of changing the way that we see these kind of things. And there's loads of examples in our, in our, in our ordinary life um, of people who kind of go between and fix things for us and do stuff for us. Um, technology changes that because of self-service checkouts. You don't need to speak to anyone to buy your food. Um, online robots that sort out your queries for you when you have an issue with your electric bill. All of those things. But we still have lots of people who are these go-betweens who sort stuff out for us. Uh, you think of a car mechanic. 
Uh, you think of someone who uh, makes your coffee in Costa. Um, other coffee shops are available. Uh, you think of like plumbers or electricians who are uh, estate agents that go between two people. Um, mobile phone repair shops when you've got a cracked iPhone screen. Uh, whatever it is, these are things that you cannot do, or that I, well, I definitely can't do most of those things. Um, but we need someone else to stand in that gap for us and do, and, and do that. And normally, it requires someone who is uniquely qualified to do that job. Those are the people who are going to do it best, the ones who are uniquely qualified to do it. Um, and the same is true of priests in the Old Testament. They were the ones who were uniquely qualified to fix the broken relationship between humans and God. That was their role. They were the go-between between, between humans and God. Um, and there were quite a few priests, um, but there were also high priests. Uh, they didn't just stand on really tall buildings. Uh, they were people who, if we can put that up now, Rory, that's okay. Um, so I'm going to just summarize what a high priest does for you, um, because the, this passage talks about Jesus being our high priest. And then we're going to look a little bit at Melchizedek, and then we're going to look at what it means for us. So uh, there was only ever one high priest at a time. So they were the kind of spiritual leader for the nation. So they, were, they led all of the other priests. They were obviously Jewish. And that might not be obvious if you've come to church for the first time today, but they were Jewish. Uh, they were from the tribe of Levi. And within the tribe of Levi, they were from the family of Aaron. So they were quite a small select group of people who could be high priests. Uh, they led to the nation spiritually. And their big day of the year was called the Day of Atonement. Uh, which is when they got the privilege of walking into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where God's presence dwelt, and they got to offer sacrifices for them and for the whole nation, for any sin committed for the whole nation. And so they got that opportunity to do that, and they were the only people that were allowed to do that at the time. Um, And so that's what a high priest does. So they had some special roles, and they had a very special kind of... uh, family history and all of that. And then uh, we get this guy called Melchizedek. Uh, and so the Bible here talks about Melchizedek. He's a ri- it's a bit random, and I don't know if you know much about Melchizedek. So I'm going to introduce you briefly to him, um, because basically the writer to the Hebrews is saying, we need a new priest, and he needs to be like Melchizedek. And so what he's doing is he's pointing towards Jesus, who's going to be our high priest, and he's going to come, and he's going to be a little bit like, like Melchizedek. Uh, so, Rory, let's have those points up. Um, so, a little story of Melchizedek is he meets Abraham. I don't know if you can read that. Yes, you can. Um, he meets Abraham. Uh, they meet together on the road. Uh, he is known as the priest of God Most High. So, he is a priest. Um, there's no genealogy given to him, which means he can't be from the tribe of Levi, which means he can't be from uh, the family of Aaron, especially as they haven't been born yet. Um, so he's not from those people. He's known as the king of Salem, which is just an old way of saying Jerusalem, um, and Salem means peace. And so he's the king as well as a priest. Uh, his name, Melchizedek, means uh, the king of righteousness. And then when he's finished meeting Abraham... After Abraham had given him a tenth of everything he owes, he owns, they decided Melchizedek decided to share bread and wine with Abraham. If you ever wanted a way of pointing towards Jesus, this is the guy. This guy is like the king, but also the priest, who is not from the tribe of Levi. And it all pointed towards the fact that we needed a new priest who was not 
one of the normal Jewish priests. We needed someone who was better, who was greater. Someone who was able to take away sins, not just once a year, but forever. Who was able to remove that guilt and that shame forever. And not just for the Jewish nation, but for all people. And so that is a very brief history on why we have Melchizedek looking like Jesus. And so Melchizedek points towards Jesus. Um, And so now we can pick up with Jesus being our high priest, because now you totally, totally get what a priest did, a high priest did, and who Melchizedek was. So we can move on and talk about how Jesus is our high priest. Um, Just one really interesting thing. Uh, I've actually got a list of cool things I've learned whilst preaching, whilst preparing for this sermon. So some of them will come out this evening. Uh, And one of them is that uh, Jesus wasn't just a priest and a king, but he was also the sacrifice. And so as we look at Jesus being our high priest, he's the one who walks into the Holy of Holies and doesn't offer a different sacrifice, he offers himself. And so we have a priest who is also the sacrifice that they offer. And I think that's really cool. Um, And so we're going to have a look a little bit at what Jesus' priesthood means, what his sacrifice means, um, and what that means for our relationship with God. Um, I don't know how you feel when you come into the presence of God, what that looks like for you. But I believe that the most important thing in the world is the way that we encounter God, the way that we approach him, the way that we relate to God. It's powerful, it changes our lives for the better, and it changes this world, as John was talking about. And Jesus says uh, in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way that you can approach God is through Jesus because he is your high priest. He's the one who stands between you and God. He is the one who stands between and makes everything work. And so I genuinely believe that as we look at who Jesus is as the high priest, uh, we need to think about our own relationships with God and the way that we relate to God ourselves. Um, And I think there are lots of barriers Lots of things, and I've experienced this just this week, and I'm going to tell a few stories about it. Um, But just this week, you think about uh, the way that you encounter God and the attitude by which you come come to God. I notice that there's lots of barriers that I put up that shouldn't be there before God. There's lots of ways, there's lots of things that I believe about myself, or I believe about God, or I believe about the world that we live in, or whatever it is, that says, actually, I'm not coming, that, that stops me approaching God as I should. And I believe uh, that in this passage, we have all of the answers to lots of those things. Um, And so as we're thinking about what these barriers are that stop us from coming to God and surrendering fully, I want us to think also about how Jesus as our high priest answers all of them and gives us the answer to all of them. Um, And so we've got... Uh, six things. Let's go with six things. Uh, we're going to do six. Um, and what we've got, I'm, I'm, as I've already told you, as has already been known, uh, I am a youth worker, um, and I like to do things a little bit differently. I haven't actually preached in church for like five or six months, so this is a bit scary. So I'm just pretending it's a youth talk. Um, and what we're going to do is have some audience participation. Um, so, uh, Rachel, are you doing this? Yeah, Rachel's going to come around. Um, in my Crystal Palace hat... Um, they lost today, sad. Um, I have six things that I think hold us back 
from in our relationship with God. There's no real purpose to this apart from it being more interesting. Um, and so Rachel's going to run around. All you need to do is put your hand up and Rachel will come and find you. Um, and then you can pull one out and then we'll talk about it. It also keeps me on my toes because I don't know which one we're talking about next. Um, so we're going to talk about these six things uh, that hold us back in our relationship with God. And so we need to know what that one is. Insignificant. Insignificant. Wonderful. I will just find my insignificant piece of paper. Um, Do you ever have those moments uh, where you look up at the stars and you're like, there's so many stars. And you look at the world around you like there's billions of people. Uh, And you look at the vastness of the ocean and you look at all of the suffering in the world and wonder... Does God really care about my project at work that I'm praying for? Or does God really care that I catch my bus on time in the morning? There's that sense of actually what we are like as humans in the vastness of this world, but when we come before God, we can feel so insignificant. We can feel small. But Jesus being our high priest answers that and tells us the truth. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus lives forever to intercede with God on on their or our behalf. And so Jesus is always, always praying for you. He lives forever and he prays for you. You and your prayers are not insignificant. Um, Sometimes we can think that uh, the way that we pray and the things that we bring to God are really small. Um, and kind of, as I say, insignificant. Uh, but I've got an illustration which I don't think is very good, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, the reason I don't think it's very good is because I believe that you have, that we all have like intrinsic value and worth to God. Um, but this is for those times when we do feel like our prayers are insignificant and we do feel like they're small and silly. Um, and so what I have here uh, are two pizza menus, okay? Two pizza menus that came through my door this week. Um, and as I say, this is a poor example. Um, but imagine that this one, this Papa John's pizza leaflet, came through my door just as it is. Great. The dog barks at it. Wonderful. I know there's a pizza delivery thing at the door. Great. So that just lands on the floor like that. Great. Uh, and then the Domino's one comes through. But the Domino's one is different because... I get to the door because the, door, the dog's barking, but nothing's come through the, the letterbox. And that's because there's someone standing at the door with this. But this is wrapped up in bubble wrap. And the most high-quality wrapper you can imagine, it's got the Queen's seal on it. It's clearly come from Buckingham Palace. And it's hand-delivered and needs my signature and my fingerprint to prove that I've got it. Okay. I open it up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this seriously because the queen has sent me this. In in reality, I take all pizza menus seriously. (laughs) But I would take this one much more seriously than that one. That's because of who delivered it and how it was delivered. Now, I can tell you that when you feel like your prayers are insignificant, and you feel like they're just pizza menus that go through the letterbox of heaven, it's not like that at all. Because they're delivered by the king, who is the priest, who delivers it by hand, who's wrapped it up and put the royal seal on it, and it means that heaven takes notice. Not because your prayers are awesome, although they might be, 
But heaven takes notice because of who they're delivered by. Because you have a high priest who delivers your prayers for you to heaven and stands in that gap. And so no matter how insignificant you think your prayers are, God listens and hears and responds because of who delivered it. Jesus, as our high priest, delivers your prayers to heaven and makes the insignificant significant. Great. Uh, Rachel, let's go for the next one. Must I pick these up? Unworthy. Unworthy. Yes. Uh, Feeling unworthy before God is uh, perfectly normal. Um, I think it's probably actually really healthy sometimes. If we look through the Bible, you can see uh, like it's littered with examples of people who felt unworthy. Uh, you think of Isaiah. He saw God and he said, Woe is me, I've seen the king. Um, and I am, I am a man of unclean lips and I've seen the king. He's like, I'm going to die. I've seen God. This is ridiculous. I feel so unworthy in his presence. Peter, when he was talking to Jesus, said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He felt unworthy to be in God's presence. And this can sometimes be a good perspective. It can sometimes be really helpful as we approach God. But if we stop there, then we miss the point. If we stop with, I'm so unworthy, how can I approach you? Then we totally miss the point. Because this is where Jesus steps in and says, I will represent you. That's what a high priest does. It represents the people to God and God to the people. And so when you are feeling unworthy, when you're feeling just not good enough, when you feel like life is just too much and you're like, I'm not good enough for God, remember that actually you have one who stands in your place, who represents you before the Father and makes you worthy. Not because of anything you've done, but because of how good he is. We can't let our feelings of not being good enough stop us from approaching God. And sometimes it's really subtle. Sometimes it's just distraction from God. Sometimes it's I want to do something different or I feel bad um, about something. But what God wants of us is a close, intimate relationship and that is always through Jesus. So we can, we can feel unworthy. I, I, I think you should. <laughs> Please feel unworthy before God because God is God and he is great and he is pure and he is holy and we are not. And yet if we stay in that place, we struggle in our relationship with God because we need to know that Jesus has bridged that huge gap, that chasm between us and God has been bridged by Jesus. And so we can approach God um, without that feeling uh, in our relationship with him. Does that make sense? Yeah, great, some nods, excellent. Uh, Next one, Rachel, where are we going? Some hands up, anyone got a hand up? Come on, people. This is really fun. You bet to put your hand in the hat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like you owe God something. Feel like you owe God something. As I sat, so this is like, feel like you owe God something. So as we approach God, we feel like we owe God something. Um, this week, I had a bit of a, a staycation um, this week. And uh, if I'm totally honest, I felt... I, started, I sat down on Thursday after my staycation for half term um, and thought, oh God, I need to write this talk for you, but I haven't spent enough time with you. So what I do is I owe you some time. 
I've had a bit of a holiday, and I owe you some time, so I'm going to sit here in your presence on Thursday morning trying to just pay that back to you so that it goes well on Sunday. You can tell me later if it does or not. (laughs) You know, prayer is great. Spending time with God is great. But in that moment, I felt like I owed God something because I'd messed up or I hadn't spent enough time with him. And that is not a healthy thing for us to be believing. That's not a healthy way in which we approach God. And sometimes it works itself out in good deeds and we try and do stuff to make up for the things that we've done wrong. Sometimes it uh, involves extra Bible readings and we don't press catch up on our Bible plan. We say, I'm going to whiz through them all. Um, And we feel like we have to pay back stuff to God that we owe him. Um, But... I came across a verse in Colossians this week, um, and it says, Colossians 2 verse 14 says that God cancelled the record of our debt and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So he cancelled the record of our debt, debt being what we owe God, has been cancelled because it was nailed to the cross. And so it's a bit like everything I ever owe God is written on this piece of paper. It's blank at the moment, but I can write stuff on if you want. Um, it's almost like that happens. And what happened was this blank, this, this not blank, this very full piece of paper was folded up, roughly, folded up, and folded up, and then put in the hand of Jesus and nailed to the cross. So it was completely cancelled. The stuff that we owe God is not there anymore because it was literally taken and nailed to the cross. That's what these words say. God cancelled the record of our debt and took it away by nailing it to the cross. If you ever feel like you owe God something, it's been nailed to the cross. We come in surrender and love, not because we owe God that, but because of what he's done for us. It's already been paid, and you can never pay God back. So that's the next one. We're halfway through them. We might have to speed up. I'm not sure. Uh, Next one. Let's go. Oh, oh, two hands. How exciting. (laughs) Oh, need that one. Guilt. Guilt. Oh, my favorite one. Um, I can imagine that you know the feeling of guilt. Uh, Guilt can totally paralyze us, can't it? Uh, And until, as a teenager, as I was growing up, um, I thought, uh, so I became a Christian when I was like 16, and I thought for that first year or two that guilt was good for my relationship with Jesus because it meant that I didn't want to do something bad again. And I just lived in this way of like, I believe that guilt is a really good thing for me because its purpose must be to stop me doing something wrong again. And then I heard a talk that talked about how we aren't changed or transformed by guilt. Instead, we're transformed by grace. And it totally changed the way that I saw myself, my guilt, my shame, and everything that I did wrong. Because it's by looking towards grace, looking towards the cross, looking towards our high priest, that we see that we're changed, and we're not going to change by being guilty. Uh, We had a youth group um, a few weeks ago. It was right here, uh, and we talked about guilt and being a bad Christian, what it feels like to be a bad Christian, um, and how uh, 
God wants relationship with us, um, and all of those things. And then at the end, I'd finish my really awesome talk, um, and then we had a little bit of sung worship, and then some, one of the girls um, came forward and said, Dan, I've got a story to tell about this. Um, and so she got up to the front, we gave her a microphone, and she said uh, to everyone there, to all of her peers, uh, I've been feeling really guilty about being a bad Christian. Uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, I talked to the leader, uh, and we realized that that was not what life was all about, that that was not how God wanted us to relate to him. And all of that guilt washed away. Um, and I just want, she just wanted to share that and tell everyone that that guilt that, they, that she felt could be washed away and gone. And she said, if anyone wants to pray, I'm going to be over there, and we'd love, I'd love to pray. And, we, and the team, we're going to pray for anyone who, who wants to wash away that guilt of being a bad Christian just feels like they're not up to it um and then we said if you want to do that then come to the side half the group stood up and walked to the side and i can imagine that half of us would probably stand up and say actually guilt holds me back half of the group were like you know they're like 13 and they're struggling with feeling like bad christians it gets all of us we feel like we're not good enough that we can't live up to it um And so I want to encourage you this evening to not live with that guilt. This is one of my cool things, okay? This is one of the the cool things that I've learned uh, from from Jesus being a high priest. Um, In the Old Testament, there are such a thing as cities of refuge. Um, Hands up if you've ever heard of a city of refuge. A few of you, excellent. So if city of refuge was a place that you could go if you had committed a crime, specifically if you'd murdered someone by accident, um, and, and you could go to that place that city, and you would be safe from all punishment and all retribution and all kind of vengeance. So no one in that city could kill you out of vengeance or anything like that, uh, and you were able to go there, and you would, it would be a place of safety for you. Um, that was uh, what happened, and so you were kind of trapped in. But at the same time, as well as it being safe, it was also uh, a daily constant reminder of what you'd done. There was that guilt. You're like, if I walk out of those gates, I will probably die. If I leave this, these walls that surround me, then there's no more hope. I am stuck in this place that reminds me every single day of my guilt, of everything I've done wrong, of the worst thing I've ever done. And I, I literally can't escape. And what I found out this week is that those people could leave on one condition, they could leave when the high priest dies. Isn't that cool? So they were allowed to leave this city of refuge as soon as the high priest died. So that daily reminder of guilt, the place where they are trapped in, the city walls that are up that say, you are a bad person, you have done everything wrong, that has trapped them forever, as soon as the high priest dies, they can walk out and no one can take vengeance. That, that, that guilt has no more hold on them because they're allowed to physically walk out of that city because the high priest has died. Now, I want you to imagine that your guilt is is like those walls. And sometimes we're trapped in, and sometimes we can live in comfort there, and we can find a little bit of comfort in, in that guiltiness. But you can walk out because your high priest has died. Jesus has died, so you can leave that city of refuge, that place behind that reminds you all the time of your guilt, you can leave, you can walk right out because Jesus died for you to bring you freedom from guilt. You can see why it's my favorite one. 
That's really cool. And that is the reality. And we're going to pray for some people in a little while once we've done the last two. We've got two. We're going to speed up. Um, and so we're going to do those last two and we're going to pray. And I want you to really think about those things. Uh, if there's anything that you really need to be free of that guilt from and walk out of that place. Let's go. Pride. Pride. Excellent. Thank you. Um, pride. There's, there's two main ways, I think, that we can... Uh, that pride can hold us back in our relationship with God. The first one is when we know we've done something wrong and we're pr- too proud to admit it. Even admit it to God, sometimes even admit it to ourselves. And the second way is when we're pride in a different sense in that we think we match up to God and we think we've been super Christians recently. And so we either approach God um, or we don't and we don't admit any weakness to him because we're too proud to or we come before him and list off all the amazing things we've done recently and how we've served the poor and we've done all these great things um, and when we're like actually I'm a really good person God the reality is that there is no place for pride in our relationship with God it needs to go and Jesus being our high priest teaches us that Someone once said to me uh, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level, it's flat, which means there's no higher ground anyone can take, and there's no pit too deep that anyone can be in. The ground at at the foot of the cross is flat, it's level. And so when you come to Jesus, and you've done something awful, and then someone else comes, and they're amazing people, you stand before Jesus, or kneel before Jesus, or lie before Jesus, at the same level because the ground at the foot of the cross is flat. It's level. There is no place for pride because no matter how bad we've been, God will still accept us as we come to him. And no matter how good we've been, we'll never impress him with our good deeds. Because as I said earlier, the only way to get to God is through Jesus. The only access point is Jesus And so we have to start at that flat ground at the foot of the cross. And so when you feel one of those two things or any other sense of pride, I find it helpful to come to God through the cross and just remember that the the ground is flat. And sometimes that means I need to go lower to the floor. And sometimes it means that God is lifting me up to realize that he's going to forgive me anyway. But that's really helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you. Um, and so we're going to do our last one. Um, you can pick it out if you want, but I know it says misunderstood uh, <laughs> because it's the last one. Um, and so sometimes uh, I think we can feel misunderstood by God, like he just doesn't get us. I don't know if you ever feel like that before, God, like he just doesn't get you. Um, like in our weakness, in our struggle, uh, we know that God is good and he's high and he's great. How can he know or or anything about what it means to struggle, what it means to get up early in the morning, what it means for any of those things. Yes, that's a real struggle for me. Um, But this verse answers that. So Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, The high priest of ours, that is Jesus, understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus understands everything that we go through, whether that's the temptations for power or for sex or for money or whatever it might be. And he didn't sin. He also knew what it meant to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tired, to be in physical pain. Jesus is able to know what it's like to be you. He's able to stand in that gap 
where you think God just doesn't understand, Jesus came to earth to show that he does understand and to become part of that so that he is able to take your requests and your prayers and your relationship with God and God will understand and know because he has been through it, because Jesus um, has been through it. And so in your suffering, in your pain, in your loneliness, if you've been betrayed, Jesus knows that too. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you think God might not get this, I can tell you that Jesus gets you. He understands you and he's been through it too. So Jesus understands you and stands in that gap between you and God. And so there are six things. There's plenty more. I had eight, but I cut it down. Um, there's six things uh, that I think really can hold us back in our relationship with God and as our, in our approach and posture as we approach him. But every single one of them can be answered by remembering that Jesus is our high priest. And then there's a verse uh, that we read, uh, Hebrews 4 verse 16, because it's no good me just telling you that all of those attitudes are wrong and can be answered by Jesus, because there's another verse that tells us how to approach God, that tells us what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 14, no, 4, verse 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That's the answer. Not because you're really great, not because anything you've done is really good, only because of Jesus. We approach the throne of grace with confidence, not with guilt or shame or unworthiness or pride, but with confidence, not in yourself, but in Jesus, because we know that he stands as our representative. He has bridged that gap between us and God. And so we can have confidence as we approach God. And so maybe this evening, you just need a fresh sense, not just that some stuff's going to wash off, but you need a fresh sense of God, of, of approaching God with confidence. Maybe you've lost your confidence before him because you started trusting yourself. Whereas actually what we need to do is trust wholly in Jesus because it's him and his sacrifice, and his priesthood, and his royalty, and all of those things that he is, and he has accomplished for us, that allows us to approach God, our heavenly Father, with confidence, knowing that we won't be rejected, we won't be turned away, and that we will be totally accepted and loved by God if we approach with confidence because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And so we're going to pray this evening. Um, we're going to pray if any of those things have kind of uh, affected you or you know that you need to be, they need to be washed off in any way. If you're like, I really struggle with pride. I know that guilt gets in the way between me and God. Uh, or whatever it is. Then we're going to pray for those things. Um, and if you just want a renewed sense of boldness and confidence before God because you trust Jesus again, um, then we're going to pray for you as well. And, and if you want to, for the first time ever, uh, put your trust in Jesus and be able to approach God, 
uh, then we'd love to know as well. Um, So as we pray, uh, we're going to invite Rachel and Graham and the band up to kind of lead us in that um, and help us to know uh, what we're going to do as we respond um, to those words of confidence in God. Yeah, so if we could have the prayer ministry team, if um, you could get ready, guys, as well. So um, if you're new to Greyfriars, we do have a team who are very happy to pray with you. And I think, Dan, amazing. Thank you for all those really insightful and challenging and encouraging words. So if any of those speak to you and you do want to be prayed for by somebody, um, the prayer ministry team, while we're worshipping, will absolutely uh, be there and be really um, keen to pray with you. Yeah, before each service, we have a group of us that pray, and we pray for God to speak to us, to um, give us words of wisdom and pictures. And from before the service, just a a few things came up. So if any of these um, kind of resonate with you, then also definitely go and get some prayer from the prayer ministry team. So we had a picture of the cross, and that um, God wants to provide healing from a place of suffering and pain. And then also... um, passage in psalm 119 which is the word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path so someone needs reminding to stay in the present and look at what god is doing in your life right now so yeah if any of either of those things if anything that dan has said to you whether or not just in the past days weeks months you felt distant from god or whether you've never actually made a full commitment to him because one of those things has been stopping you it would be really great if we could pray for you and so you can either pray with someone where you are or the prayer ministry team is over on my left your right